As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hey everybody, thank you for listening to Marriage Therapy Radio. I'm Zach, I'm here with Laura. Today we're here with Nate Klimp and Kaylee Klimp and they are sharing with us about their book, The 8080 Marriage. I wanna say two things. First of all, there are a lot of good books out there about marriage. This one's great and I think you ought to buy it. It is actionable, it's practical, but mostly it's honest. I love it when couples, people give us a look behind the curtain and these two do it in a way that is really gonna be of help to you and your relationship. So do check it out. The second thing I wanna say is that if you do buy it, Please visit marriagetherapyradio.com. We have a brand new bookstore there. We did that thing with Amazon where if you buy the book using our link, we get a little bit of a kickback, which would be awesome. We'd be grateful for that. But regardless, I think you should pick it up no matter what. And if you're not convinced, check out our talk with Nate and Kaylee Klimp. It's a very cool conversation. Stick around. So tell us about the book itself. The book is The 8080 Marriage. And the big idea behind the book is... In the modern context, there are two really important shifts that we need to make as couples. The first is our mindset shift. So our default set point, if you will, in today's sort of marriage um, place is about 50-50 fairness. Making sure that I'm doing my fair share, you're doing your fair share. Hey, we're equals now. And so it leads to a lot of mindset of scorekeeping. And in 8080, the shift is out of that, dropping the scorecard and instead moving to 8080, which is radical generosity. The second piece of 8080 is really about your structure. So many of us have grown up where it's sort of, you know, achieve your individual potential, be your best. And then we get married and they're like, now be a team. It's like, wait, how do we do that? And so the structure of 8080 is really about getting clear on what are your shared values so you know how to win together. But you didn't choose... And maybe you didn't choose at all, but you didn't, it's not a hundred hundred or 60, 60. So what is that about? Yeah, that's a great question. And we thought about that quite carefully, actually, when we were writing the book. And the reason we didn't go to 100, hundred, because obviously we're advocating this shift out of 50, 50, stretching your mindset out of fairness into something more like radical generosity, but it's kind of like a hamstring stretch where it's healthy to go into it and really push your edge but you can go too far with that stretch, right? And so what we found in interviewing about 100 people for this book is that most people were struggling with a kind of lack of generosity and it was helpful for them to push that edge. But there were cases we would find where people were sort of giving so much that they were losing themselves in the process. You know, so essentially so generous, although you could argue whether their mindset was actually generosity, (laughs) But, but going so far to that extreme that they ended up in this kind of place of martyrdom where, you know, there was 
a lot of resentment there, and there was a loss of their own individual purpose, projects, et cetera. So we found it was really important to preserve some space for that, for our own individuality. Yeah. I definitely want to come back to that because I have this idea that's been kind of mulling around as I've read the book. Um, and I'm thinking about like this concept of over-functioning, under-functioning in the relationship. Mm-hmm. I want to come back to that, but you mentioned the 100 interviews and I'm really curious about that and how that uh, played into writing the book and sort of coming up with this concept to help solve the problem. But where did the idea come from, first of all, of, hey, we should probably interview some people. We should get some data. Well, some of it just came out of looking at ourselves and saying, hey, we're struggling with this. Maybe this is just an us problem. And so we wanted to be more thoughtful about all of the inputs that we had because we're actually not the experts. We're not the sort of picture perfect in any way. We wanted to get a sense of what's working in a broader swath of the world. And so intentionally worked to get people who were in different stages of their relationships where we had same-sex couples, heteronormative couples, couples who were early in the relationships later, um, different diversity dimensions around um, economics and um, just as many different variables that we can include so that it felt like what we landed on with 8080 wasn't, hey, this works exclusively for Nate and Kaylee. It actually was what people were saying were the fundamentals that helped them be more successful as a couple. So what types of questions were you asking them um, in order to land on? And I guess part of my question is, was this the two of you coming to a sense in your own relationship where you're both really successful in your own right and you're both working and functioning as not only a parent to your daughter, but also I've done some. um, How old is your daughter, by the way? She's nine now. She's nine. Okay. Um, yeah. Zach has two daughters. He's in the, like an all lady household. Yeah. I've said this joke several times, but um, you've heard, uh, you've probably heard before that um, sometimes women, and it is women who will say, I feel like I have three children. My wife, you'd say that all the time. I feel like I have three children. Well, my, my girls now are 14 and 18. And I, my, my new joke is I feel like I have three wives. <laughs> hundred percent. Better than four mothers. <laughs> yeah. Probably better than four mothers. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so you have both, I guess I'm kind of thinking, did you come up with this idea of, Hey, we're experiencing this tension in our marriage. Let's try something different after, after sort of living out this standard 50, 50 arrangement that is falling on so many marriages. Let's try this radical generosity. And then, then thinking, well, this works for us, but would it work for the masses? Or I guess I'm kind of wondering, like, did you go out just seeking where are the pain points? How can we make this better? And then landing on, let's try this in the marriage. Let's test run it. Yeah, it's a really great question. I would say that for us, as you named, our fundamental challenge was how do we be equals and in love? And I actually think that's a a pretty widespread challenge for most couples. Um, You know, we both met, we went to Stanford, she became an executive coach, I was getting a PhD. Like we were just going all out in our own careers. And the real question for us then became like, how do we bring this together? How do we actually share a life together? Given that our culture and our schools and everything was telling us, go be your best self. And there was nothing about sharing or you know living together with another person. So I think that was our orientation. And then in terms of this project, we hit some really rough patches in our marriage and 
we did encounter some of these tools around mindset shifting and structure shifting that were really powerful for us. But then it was kind of a question of like, how generalizable is this? Um, my training was in political philosophy. So like when I wrote my dissertation, I was trained to go out in the world and we called it empirical normative theory, where we would just look at what was happening in the world and then create a theory based on that, where we were sort of starting with a hypothesis, but testing that against every interview mm -hmm. and, and interaction. And that kind of became the methodology that we had these hypotheses, but we wanted to sort of test it in the context of these interviews and see, is this something other people are experiencing? Or as Kaylee said, is this just our own weird idiosyncratic yeah. <laughs> way of being? Yeah, I have a million questions, but I'm going to like <laughs> throw it to Zach so I don't overwhelm you. Well, I mean, I think you, you said something that I automatically went, huh, okay. So let's hear about you guys. I mean, you could tell us all about the book or all about the people, but you you have this theory about radical generosity. And, and maybe I'm not 100% clear whether you started with this hint or this suspicion about generosity and said, let's go see if other people experience it. Or we have this hint about discontentment and let's go find out what other people are dealing with. But ultimately, you came up with this notion that somehow being generous inside the relationship was of importance or special benefit. How does that show up for the two of you guys? Ooh, good question. That's a, it's a great question. I think it shows up in micro ways and macro ways. So it shows up in the little tiny everyday life kinds of things where you know, I'm washing dishes after I've made dinner, after I've wiped the counters and my you know, mind will go to the place of fairness where it's like, wait a second, why am I doing this again? And having the ability to go 80-80 or radical generosity and switch the way that I'm seeing Nate and go looking for what are the ways that he's contributing? What are the things that he's doing that are generous? How can I appreciate him? And I have to go looking because if I just leave it, like here I am at the sink washing dishes, that's not my first thought. But at least having the catalyst to go look, that's sort of the micro way where I think it shows up on a daily basis. In the macro way, I think it's more about the structure of our life that I think, you know, we, we joke about this, that in the book, we talk about the daycare pickup time. It happened again that our daughter went to first grade and we had this whole crazy discussion about who should greet the bus when she got off. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I was traveling two or three days a week at that point in time. So I went to Dan and I was like, obviously you should do it. <laughs> he came back, he was like, I think you should not only travel this, you should greet the bus, you should do it. Mm -hmm. And there was this whole dialogue where we were like, oh my gosh, we are back in fairness. Mm -hmm. And it, it, we never would have gotten there if we tried to maximize for each of ourselves. But when we changed the question to say, what's best for our family? And the two of you know, for folks who don't know, we're cheesy enough that we named our family unit. So we named it Kajona. So the KA from Kaylee, the NA from Nate, Joe is from our daughter in the middle. But if we asked the question, okay, so what's best for Kajona around what happens after school? Yeah. And that was a radically generous, totally different question that gave us a different answer. That's so funny. I come at it from a totally different angle in this way, which is I blew up 50-50 a long time ago, in part because I don't like the way my wife cleans the kitchen. So <laughs> if she cleans my kitchen, I get upset about it. So I'm like, I will clean the kitchen. I will clean it 80% of the time. Please do not touch my kitchen. It's not very generous, but it is... <laughs> It is the way that I, I've solved the 50-50 problem. I love that it's actually not like 
our kitchen. It's yeah. my kitchen. Well, yeah, yeah. It's, I have very, again, I have three wives, so very little space that belongs to me. And so <laughs> but I have claimed the kitchen. It's interesting though, uh, just hearing you guys talk, I got, we got into a little bit of a snipe last night. Three of us did about should, right? Cause somebody said, do you think we should be doing this? And I, for whatever mindset I was in, I was like, you know what should is not a part of it. And, I, and there, everybody was like, whoa. And again, not a terribly generous, but I think you're onto something, which is this idea of, you know, what should happen? Well, no, let's do the right thing. And then that, and then yeah. it'll be best for Kajona or to be best for us or best for you guys. So I'm, I, I dig it. I, I, I might come back. I might take the long way around, but, um, but I think you're onto something. Well, I was just going to say about the should thing. Um, we started out in our marriage 15 years ago in this pattern of me as the under functioner, her as the over functioner or mm-hmm. under contributor, over contributor. Mm-hmm. And you know, there are all sorts of reasons for that, gender norms, et cetera. But the way that that pattern played out is there was a lot of should coming, especially from Kaylee around like, hey, this should be more fair. You should do more, blah, blah, blah. And as the under contributor, my reaction to that was to actually do far less, right? Because I got to a point where I was like, you know, nothing's good enough for you. So I'm just not going to do anything. So it was actually very interesting that the shoulds of fairness even though the intention was to create equality, actually ended up amplifying inequality, which is just, I think, really interesting. And and so part of what we're trying to say in this book is if you really want equality, fairness is like the worst technology you can imagine to do that. It's much better to look carefully at the structures of your life, at power, at roles, and do it from this place of generosity. You're going to get way further in that quest toward equality than if you just try to keep score. Yeah. Hmm. I, um, I flip to the back of your book because I'm always curious, like what, who are you reading and what influenced the book? And, um, and there in chapter six, you had some articles from John Gottman. So our background is that, uh, Zach and I are both certified Gottman therapists and we teach for the Gottman Institute and, um, write for them. And, uh, and so I see that that helped to influence parts of your book, specifically around that mindset shift, which I teach a lot about, like the lens. And I call it the rose colored glasses or the shit colored glasses. And <laughs> if, if you have on, you know, those those rose colored glasses and you're really searching to look for the positives and what your partner is doing and is contributing, you're going to find it. It's almost like, you know, like closing your eyes and having me ask you look around or, you know, like first look around the room and identify everything in your room that is maroon. And so you're looking around, you're looking around, you got it. And then I say, now close your eyes. Now I want for you with your eyes closed to think about everything in the room that's green. And you're like, I wasn't looking for green. I have no idea. All I was focused on was the maroon. So it's, it's really about, I appreciated that you included the research that Dr. Gottman did about that mindset and how important that is. Can you talk a little bit more and maybe give some people some guidance of how they might be able to influence their mindset and more of a positive way of looking for the rose colored glasses? Yeah, I love the rose colored glasses. We've been using a similar metaphor, which is the scavenger hunt that you find what you're looking for. The question is, what are you looking for? Right. If you know, it's a scavenger hunt for eggs, then you're going to find those. If it's a scavenger hunt for, you know, pennies, you're going to find those. Um, If it's a scavenger hunt for shit in the backyard, hopefully you find that too. But the idea is exactly what you're saying that on this scavenger hunt, the question is, what are you looking for? And so part one is, I think a flavor of what you're describing 
from the mindset of appreciation, go looking for all the ways that your partner is contributing. And what I notice is that a lot of times those start to be entitlements. And what I mean by that is you just expect that your partner always does that. And then you're mad if they don't rather than appreciating that they do. Mm -hmm. So this is the idea of like, why isn't the coffee pot on this morning? Mm -hmm. Rather than thank you for turning the coffee pot on every morning because you're up before, you know, I'm in, you know, while I'm in the shower mm-hmm. or it's, you know, sort of saying the thank you for the patience with which you helped our daughter log on to school is really different from where are you? Zoom is starting, mm-hmm. right? That there's, there's something about, can you go find all of those instances that they care and are helping And then I think there's a a piece also, Laura, which is around, are you also willing to reveal your own experience from that same perspective of generosity and kindness and compassion that again, rather than sort of expecting your partner to be a mind reader where communication by mind reading is not very effective to be willing to say, hey, I'm stuck or hey, I'm stressed or hey, I could use some help or hey, please feel free to leave the counters. I'd actually love the five minutes of alone time where it's just, you know, me and a podcast in my ear and my you know yeah. paper towel, that that actually is quite generous both to you and the relationship. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. I don't know where I read this and I'm kind of wondering what you mean about this is that sometimes we expect that our partner is going to be generous with their like comments of, Hey, I really, I noticed that you clean the counter off after you cooked, but sometimes they just don't, they're, they don't see it. And I love that you said it's okay to ask for appreciation. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I, I joke that I do this with my husband is he's not a words of affirmation guy. Yeah. So I pull it out of him and I just, at the end of the night, I'm like, Hey babe, what was, what was your favorite thing about me today? Just curious. Um, and I love that you also reiterated, it's okay to ask for appreciation. If you start to feel like maybe your partner's lenses are a little skewed today. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the other thing we've done is we've used some structure and habit to sort of get around the problem because asking for appreciation is great. It's also super edgy, I think for most people. And so as a daily practice, it's difficult. So what we've done in our life is before we go to bed, we have this habit of just one appreciation for each other. It takes like 30 seconds, 60 seconds. And what's great about that is then we don't have to make that super edgy ask every day. It's just like built into the structure of life. It's automatic. You know, we're sort of leveraging the science of habit formation, having bedtime is the cue. And then the habit is just, Hey, I appreciate you for getting our daughter ready. 
Well, whatever I think it one is. thing that gets lost, especially for clients of mine, is I'll say something like that. I'll say, why don't you try this behavior at, you know, at the end of the night? Why don't you just share one appreciation? And they'll say something like, well, it's, I don't know, it doesn't feel authentic. It doesn't feel, mm. feels awkward. And I'm kind of like, well, okay, who cares? You know, because the real power in that is frankly, is the agreement that you make Tuesday afternoon to say, Hey, we're going to do this awkward thing in the evenings. And until it kind of becomes normative or whatever. The, the other thing I wanted to mention was, I don't know why this popped into my head, but it's kind of this idea of noticing the things that are going okay, like going well or becoming grateful for things. And I'm obsessed right now with this old proverb around sort of nobody celebrates not having a toothache. Like, okay. Um, okay. I like, like when that. I, but when I have a toothache, the only thing I want, the only thing I want is to not yeah. have a toothache, but we don't spend any time at all going, man, I'm so glad right now that I don't have a toothache, which is sort of like, I'm so glad right now there wasn't a problem getting on zoom or I'm so glad right now that the garbage just made its way down to the curb room. Like we, we don't, we don't have that. It's not baked into us. So it is a, a sense of like sort of cultivating that mentality of just kind of maybe even intentionally surveying the scene and going, I don't have a toothache. Like, okay, that's, that's pretty great. Okay. I'm going to start there and just see where, see where it takes me. Hmm. I love so many things about what you just said, Zach. One is most of the things in the book aren't hard. They're just uncomfortable or awkward Mm. the first couple of times. And so some of that is just, I love the way you said it, being willing to be awkward, being willing to be uncomfortable because it's in service of something so important. And I also love the idea of a habit of what can we appreciate that was invisible today? Mm-hmm. There were no technical difficulties. I don't have a toothache. You know, mm-hmm. there was hot water in my shower today. That's sort of amazing. Yeah. Try selling that to a 19 year old girl. I'll tell you, I mean, 18 year old girl, it's uh We totally digress, but the neuroscience about that is really, really cool around um, wiring the pathways around gratitude and how that interrupts particularly anxiety and depression. Yeah, we just did an episode a couple weeks ago on gratitude in part because love that Cliff Notes is I was in I was in Mexico and found myself getting super grumpy about stuff. Meanwhile, my wife was at home it was snowing here and, you know, she's dealing with my kids and, or one of them anyway. And, you know, she's having a hard time. She's injured, whatever else. And I was like, and I'm like, I don't like my view. <laughs> I was sort of like. Giggling and laughing in the pool beneath I know the kids oh. laughing outside are too loud. But then I was like, I wonder if, I wonder if I can be grumpy anywhere. Can I also be grateful anywhere? And what yeah. does it do for me to actually chart or, or ignite those neur- neurons or impulses to create a different style of thinking. And it, it's been, it's been an interesting thing to focus on the last couple of weeks for sure. And the transit, like the translation into marriage, I think is also huge right there, right? Because it's so easy to, to find the things our partner is doing wrong. And if you have that intentional, can I find something in them to be grateful for even sometimes around whatever that annoyance might be, it's not easy, but isn't it being a mental challenge? It actually creates a lot of connection and appreciation. 
Yeah. So I do something that's called the Epic Wives Experiment, and it's a month-long experiment. And the very first section that we spend with these women is really giving them challenges of how to shift their mindset. And one of the mm-hmm. things that is most difficult for women in this group is to take something that is a complaint and find a reason to be grateful for it. And it might be something where, you know, women are like, oh, it drives me absolutely bonkers that, so my complaint, I'll use me as an example, is that my husband disrobes next to the bed. So there ends up being this pile of clothes next to the bed. And so I get frustrated because I'm constantly bumping into the stuff and it's just kind of this mental cognitive load to see this pile of crap next to the bed, not a sexy space, but then I'm like, okay, so what's the positive aspect of it? The aspect that I can appreciate is that my husband cannot wait to get naked in bed with me every night. And that's kind of awesome. (laughs) So I can look at that clothes and say, I, I really love the fact that you want to be naked and close with me and you can't wait to get in bed so much so that the clothes can't make it into the hamper that I have put next to the bed. But I love that. Yeah, I think it's, it is an interesting challenge to just begin to think like, what is the complaint that I can turn into an appreciation or gratitude for? Yeah, that's so funny. We have a similar practice. We call it the appreciation flip where it's the same thing. You take the complaint And you look at how you're actually appreciative for that. And for us, you know, like for many years, my complaint about Kaylee is that she works too hard. She pushes too hard. She lives at a speed that's just too fast. Her complaint about me is like, you're too slow. You take too much time. You rest too much. You spend too much time meditating. Mm -hmm. And what we finally realized is like what I love most in some ways about Kaylee is that she pushes me. Like without Kaylee, I'd be just at some Buddhist meditation center right now meditating all day for eight hours. And if it weren't for Nate, like I would never stop, like for sure. You'd work all day somewhere. (laughs) So yeah, it's a really cool thing to see that the flip is actually true. Yeah. Is this, um, I'll pull another soundbite out of the book itself, but is this, are we getting close to this idea of why your yes means nothing without a no? And is that what you're beginning to talk about? Um, it's, it's connected, your yes means nothing without a no is actually more about the relationships between priorities and boundaries that I think a lot of people are willing to do some of the work to say, well, this is what's important to me. These are my priorities. But then what happens is people make asks of you and they're like, hey, could you do this thing on Saturday? Hey, by the way, you know, this happened yesterday. There's like a leprechaun trap kit thing we're doing for St. Patrick's Day. Can you drop this off at the other houses? And as soon as you start to say yes to all of the other asks that are being made of you all of a sudden your priorities don't mean anything Mm -hmm. because if you can't say no or if you choose not to say no to some of the invitations that come your way actually your priorities are determined by whomever gets to the top of your inbox or whoever gets to the top of your text stream rather than you determining this is what matters most to me got it and i think at least my understanding of this is one of the exercises is identifying as a, as a, as a group. Um, what is your family name again? Kajona. Kajona. Okay. So as like Kajona is identifying, not just what your own personal value system is in order to set that structure up, but what Kajona's value system is, is that correct? Yes. Um, so then as you're determining what are the, like what's in my boat, um, this is an exercise that you have couples do in the, in the book is what do I, where do my boundaries lie? What's most important to me? What am I taking, what am I saying yes to? 
I think what I'm understanding is that what you're saying yes to all revolves around what your values are as a whole, rather than what your individual values are. Yep. I got that. The the way we think about it is it all starts with what do we value? And for each couple, that's going to be different. Like some couples, it's financial Mm -hmm. security. Some couples, it's adventure. They don't care about how much money they make. They want to live in Costa Rica, right? So every couple has their own set of values. <laughs> and then from those, we, we derive priorities, but then also boundaries, you know, and, and that what's on our boat exercise. That was a fun one. We were in a couples forum years back and we just came up with this idea of like, gosh, it feels like there's a lot on our boat. So we actually wrote out on these huge pieces of paper, just the outline of a boat. This is three different couples. Mm-hmm. And we all did it with our own couple and our own family situation. And it was amazing to see visually like all the crap that we were carrying around on this boat that we were not wanting to throw overboard. And then finally, once we were able to make those decisions and say, you know what, it makes no sense for me to be spending all this time on this particular thing. Let's throw it off. Like it was, it was liberation. I mean, it was an amazing moment for us actually. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a huge fan of identifying as a couple. I think you had mentioned in the book that you have um, like in your kitchen, your values are there and they're super present and you can see them. And it's a really good reminder of when we make decisions as a couple, these decisions all get based back on these values of what we have identified are most important. It just really helps to streamline your thought process and your energy of where you're spending your resources. Zach always says like your two most precious resources are time and money. And if those, Mm -hmm. if your time and money as a couple is decided by what your value system is, I think you're on the right path. Totally. Totally. Or or, yeah. If you, if you have a poster in your kitchen that says, you know, security, generosity, and, you know, gratitude, but your time and money goes to Costa Rica adventures and, you know, new game boxes and whatever else, like they're not, you know, it's kind of easy to go, wait, you say your priorities are over here, but you're, you're, you're leveraging your precious resources over there. Something's not quite right. So you have to knit them together. Yeah, for sure. Zach, do you have one last question? Cause I'm just paying attention to time here. I want to hear a little bit more about this idea of close, but not connected, but it's maybe woven into all of what we've been talking about. We can give you just like a minute or two, because this is showing up a ton. It's showing up a ton, especially in the pandemic, but it actually shows up kind of everywhere where what we're hearing from couples is in the pandemic, we're sharing tons of space. And yet there's a way that because there isn't any space, we're actually not connected. And there can be an assumption this happens even outside the pandemic where you're sitting in bed together, but you're both like reading your Instagram feed rather than having a meaningful conversation. And so the idea isn't how close can you be, certainly not physical proximity, but rather can you create engagement with each other where you want to know your partner in that deeper way? And so some of that is creating physical space. Go for a walk around the block, come back and notice that you see your partner in a different light, particularly Mm -hmm. if you left on a sort of moment of like, hmm, this isn't awesome. See if you can't use it to walk it off and come back to see them through the lens of appreciation. On a date night, see if you can't ask a different question, Mm -hmm. right? How are you? Pretty reliably gets fine. How are you? But asking you know, I loved your question, Laura, what's something that you really appreciated about me today? (laughs) Or what's a way that I was able to express love that you felt this week? Mm -hmm. All of a sudden you're into something different where you can start to relearn about one another. Mm -hmm. And, And actually Gottman talks about love maps. In some ways it's, can you update your love map? 
Can you re-engage because that creates connection? Yeah, it's interesting when you talk about the pandemic. I've been saying over and over again, especially the last month or so, it is the thing people are bringing into my office anyway. It's just this idea of like, we're over it. We can't, we don't know what to do. But one of the things that's that the pandemic has taken away is the opportunity for couples to miss each other, right? Like we go to work in the morning and I missed you today. You know, there's no like, I missed you today. You're like, no, I, I actually, I want you to go away. Could you please just go somewhere, anywhere? Like, or can I go, I'll go to the grocery store. Sure. Yeah. Maybe that's radical generosity again, me coming around the, the back door. But yeah, it definitely is. Uh, I, I understand what you mean when you talk about close, but not connected for sure. You guys cite uh, Esther Perel quite a bit in the book as well. And so I know you're familiar with her concepts of just like this balance between closeness and separish, separish, that would be, a word. I come up with words every time. Yeah. Dictionary dictionary.com just approved supposedly which no. I think no. Oh, no. the apocalypse is upon us for sure. But, um, <laughs> um, okay. I do have one question because I know I want, I want for our listeners, number one, to read the book. Um, and I had mentioned to uh, Nate and Kaylee that this is the book I got at the library, which was pretty amazing because I don't like to pay money for things, but I love like getting resources at the library. But um, I also noticed on your website, you have a way for people to actually work with you. So can you explain what that is all about? How people can either work with you or take a workshop with you? Yeah. So there are a couple different options for how to work with us. One is there are self-guided retreats that you can access on our website. And basically what happened, the ask was so neat that couples were saying, especially in the pandemic, they're like, we want to go on a couple's retreat. We can't. Or even pre-pandemic couples were like, we really want to go do this work together. But shoot, our calendars just won't align with a teacher that we love or with content that we love. And so the idea with the self-guided retreats, there's one about mindset, radical generosity, and one that's really focused on structure that you can do at any time, anywhere. There are videos to help um, guide you through the different exercises. So that's one way that you can kind of asynchronously work with us. Or if you're interested in doing a deeper dive on how you can be 8080 with your partner, reach out and we can have a conversation about working with um, one of us or the two of us on those tools for your relationship. And what is the best way for people to reach out to you? So our website is 8080marriage.com. So that's 8080marriage.com. Mm-hmm. And that's the best way to find us on there. You'll find the free epic date night. Those, that's where you'll access those retreats. You can also sign up. We do a weekly newsletter. Nice. And then on Instagram, if you're on Instagram, at 8080marriage, we do a daily challenge or a daily tip. And we just launched a new thing there. Yeah, we've been doing... Um mindfulness training on Instagram, which I think is just hilarious because it's like the least mindful place on earth. (laughs) So I'm doing Instagram lives where we're doing like guided mindfulness practice, which I just find amazing and fun. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Uh, We totally skipped your whole expertise, Nate, about mindfulness. I'm, I'm actually kind of a baby in that whole arena right now, but it's, uh, I can appreciate that that is an essential skill, not only just for a marriage, well, not only in a marriage, but also just inside your own self. So I guess we can learn more about that too at your website, huh? Yeah, absolutely. Zach, I have to tell you this because I don't know. I did a pretty like solid um, super stocking of these two before our interview, but you have to read his article where Nate went to the doctor for a 90 minute procedure that then turned into a three hour procedure. And he chose, normally they just knock you out and he chose mindfulness (laughs) to meditate through it. 
I was dying reading this article and the like Kaylee, you being out with your daughter in the waiting room and hearing uh-huh. her screams. I lost it. I was laughing. I mean, I'm sorry that I was. No, laughing. it's hilarious and tragic. Like, oh, my I gosh. I never, was- ever recommend that to anybody. But uh, it was quite an adventure. Yes. I was having flashbacks to the book Million Little Pieces. Do you know what I'm talking about? Oh, yes. Flashbacks yes. to that. And I'm like, I can't read about dental procedures anymore. Please, yes. please use the drugs. Anyway, if y'all are curious, you should just Google Google his experience. It was amazing to read. I Very love that you right. found that. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah, I went. I went to the end of the oh. internet. Content <laughs> oh, there. You know. Should we land this plane? Yeah. Very good. Thanks, you guys, for joining us. It was really cool. I'm glad we got to talk to you. And um, yeah, check out the 8080 marriage. It's uh, it's it's got a lot of really cool stuff in it. Awesome. Thanks so much for having us. Do you ever feel like sometimes you have a conversation with somebody and it just so totally resonates with what you're so into that 30 minutes just isn't enough? I definitely felt that way with Nate and Kaylee. I wanted to continue to pick their brains and talk to them more and more about how to change that mindset. What is the structure that needs to be set up? How do you actually go about having an 80-80 marriage in your relationship? And um, and so I guess, I guess what needs to happen is y'all just need to read the book. So I highly recommend just check it out. Go to Amazon. You can find the 80-80 marriage um, on Amazon. I also found the book in my local library, which is amazing because it just came out. This is so cool. Just talking to them. I think they are really on to something. A lot of what they talked about in the book absolutely resonates with the research that is out there that's been done by John Gottman and other researchers. So I just recommend check out check out their website, um, 8080marriage8080marriage.com. They have some cool resources there. And head on over to Amazon, pick up a copy of your book. If you would like for us to have a book club around this book, wouldn't that be so fun? let us know. Send us an email info at marriagetherapyradio.com. Thank you so much for all of your time and your attention, making your relationship better today than it was yesterday. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.